all other things we choose to do each day and how we feel about ourselves is connected to how we think. That That is the core piece. Marcus Aurelius said, you have power over your mind, not outside events. Realize this and you will find strength, unquote. Today's episode is number two in our five-part series of creating emotional resilience. Today's episode is entitled, Empowering Your Mind, Developing Healthy Thinking Patterns for Emotional Resilience. This is going to be good stuff. This is healthy thinking patterns. Let's identify what some of them are and what some of them aren't. So a couple of years ago, if you listen to part one, this is just background about where this came from, but I joined an emotional resilience group and the class focused on learning and practicing spiritual and practical skills to help us better care for our body and our mind and our emotions and our relationships, all really important stuff. And I enjoyed the class so much and with all of the, gosh, just the difficult things that we are going through in this world, emotional resilience becomes this really top priority topic. So I wanted to share some of my takeaways from that class, and I'm going to bring in some experts as well to comment and talk about these ideas as we go through this five-part series. And as I mentioned, this is the second of that five-part series, and I hope these episodes will support you in your own quest for choosing emotional resilience skills. Stay tuned for this important step, developing healthy thinking patterns. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. My first marriage was in 1995. My second was in 2007, and my third was in 2011. All three ended in divorce. When I finally came to love and accept my own personal story and the disappointment I felt, the failure I felt, the embarrassment that I felt around those divorces, the progress was all about learning to reframe the negative aspects of that story that I was focusing on. It was all about interpretation of the events of my life, and it was all about the mindset that I chose. It wasn't until I learned how to step out of victim mode and focus on what I had gained from my experiences, such things as understanding what it felt like to just to feel unloved or to be cheated on or to be abandoned, to be emotionally abused. I gained empathy for women in abusive situations. I gained empathy for being a single mom, for lonely people, for times of brokenness, for needing forgiveness, for the struggle to forgive another person. I gained strength 
as I survived and as I kept trying. Instead of my perceived stack of failures, which was, you know, where my first mindset went, all that overall crap in the relationships and the ultimate dissolution of the marriages, I could instead find peace in my own messy journey by focusing on the things that I had learned and understood now that I didn't before. Really, this is all about where we put our focus. In other words, mindset. So my point is, our thoughts are everything. They create our reality. They make all the difference in how we see ourselves and in how we interpret our world and how we interpret our past, even in how we're going to create our future. So this is a big deal. How we talk about ourselves and how we think about things impacts how we feel because thoughts influence emotions. I have brought Katherine Reynolds back for this episode. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist. We met her in the last episode. She practices solution-faced, sorry, solution-focused therapy, and she's passionate about helping women women with anxiety or depression regain their sense of identity, um, expression, purpose, all the good things. So here's a clip of our conversation on healthy thinking patterns. I've been thinking and talking about healthy thinking patterns. So, mm-hmm. you know, taking responsibility, not playing the victim role. I mean, there's all kinds, all kinds of healthy thinking patterns. But what are some of the healthiest thinking patterns that you are aware of that you see that you think support us in being emotionally resilient beings? I love the phrase just healthy thinking patterns. The way I love that. Think about daily movement that's a healthy pattern other routines cleaning study like but the thoughts that we think are so valuable they're actually at the base of everything else we do pattern wise so if the thoughts are faulty or the thoughts are iffy then we we aren't technically in a good place to build off of so or a launch pad yeah Absolutely. i mean that's off but most people don't actually think about their healthy thinking patterns first it's usually until they have like a wake up call and then they say, I need, I need help. I need to recenter myself. Well, you know what so you I think, what you think affects your emotion and then with the emotion yeah, you feel affects your, your action. And then the action that you have sets your habits and then those habits create your character. So right? we bring it all the way back down, those healthy thinking patterns and establishing them and monitoring them like purposefully, intentionally yeah. creating healthy thinking patterns is key for surviving living a great life everything yeah Yeah. so all i wrote when i was taking notes for this just preparing i thought all other things we choose to do each day and how we feel about ourselves is connected to how we think that that is the core piece so we talk a lot in therapy about cognitive distortions in a simpler term it's thinking errors and so you can actually look this up online and i would recommend anyone do that or i could add some things to you to put in the show notes for reference, like all or nothing thinking, emotional reasoning, catastrophizing thinking. There's a lot of faulty patterns. And once you know what they are, you actually can do something about them because you recognize that they're not helping you. (laughs) They're not getting you any closer to your goals of the other things that you're wanting. So one thing to do with clients is working to reframe them. So the word reframe means something that's true and kind to self. Mm. Um, so I had an example 
and a client might say, I am not worthy of love and belonging. And then you say to yourself, is that actually true? Is that a factual, is that a true fact? If not, it's an opinion. Second, would you even say that to a stranger, not just a friend? Would you even walk up to someone and say, you're not worthy of love and belonging? If so, where's the proof? What's your evidence? So you do a lot of cognitive logical thinking. And in today's pop culture, positive affirmations are probably the top thing that everyone thinks is helpful. Just believe that you're amazing. Just believe that you're lovable. But the brain quickly rejects those thoughts because the neural pathways are so ingrained in just one direction. So it'll, it'll believe whatever you tell it to believe. And it looks for evidence everywhere you go. So yeah, see that person didn't look at me. They don't care about me. They didn't invite me to this. So you, you create, like you talk about love your story. You almost create a false story. Oh, um, all the time. We do. The and, <laughs> and the fact that we can... I think it's important for everybody just to acknowledge all the stories they're creating in their brain is their own reality. Like there's not one reality on this mm -hmm. planet. There are 7 billion yeah. different realities and the whole thing is playing out in everybody's individual brain. So there's no yes. way to really know what's going on with anybody, which, <laughs> but, mm -hmm. but, but knowing mm -hmm. that and recognizing that about yourself it allows you to double check your stories. Like that person didn't look at me. They, they have bad feelings toward me and you can stop and say, okay, I just made up that story. Like self-awareness yeah, there. That come from? Yeah. Right. To double check your, your stories. And then yeah. I remember when I learned to do that and it was so freeing because I would quit making up. We, we make up stories and we can go on and on with them. You know what I mean? And then it's something that hasn't even happened yet. We're like, Ooh, what if this happens? And then it goes on and you create this complex story. And when I learned to stop doing that, I saved myself a ton of time. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. It's so much, it's brain, it's energy, mental oh, energy. Yeah. Well, so, and when, once you tell yourself those stories, then you, they've kind of taken a seed of reality in your experience. That's how powerful our thoughts are. And then our mood shifts and our feelings about that person shift and it, it can get wonky and and nothing even happened. That's the, that's the crazy thing. Which wouldn't you think that that would tell us, wow, if your thoughts are that powerful, why not shift it toward actually helping you? <laughs> yeah. Like the science of neuroplasticity. I was thinking about, I think about that a lot, but the power of the brain's ability to change and rewire and learning to believe this, um, things that are different about yourself. So looking at, so a cognitive reframe is always true and kind. So it's based in compassion to yourself. Here's just an example too. Sometimes this is a reframe of the first statement. Sometimes I struggle to feel like I have worth or belong. Is that a true statement? Yeah. I think that's like, that's at the essence of what the person's expressing. And I want to be seen for who I am and know people love and care about me. That's very compassionate but it's not false. Mm -hmm. Everything about that is true. So the brain, if I do this with people in my office, I say, does that resonate with you? Could you actually believe that? And they're like, yeah, no, I totally, I really do. So those are the moments that the brain can start to think different things. And otherwise it's just a big, a big jump to say, I'm worthy of love and belonging. And they haven't really done the work to get to that place.
In Proverbs 23, 7, it says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I know that none of these ideas are new. You know these. But they are vitally important to understand and to work on. I'd like each of you listening to take stock of your own thoughts about your own life right now. What stories are you creating? Think about it. Are they negative? Are they positive? The ones that are negative, how can you hop over the fence and reframe them? Let's peek into an example. So I was speaking to a friend the other day and she shared a story with me that I thought really captured the clear concept of how the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves really define us. So it's important to look at what we are thinking and if it's negative, maybe challenge it. Here's the example. So Jackie, tell me, where did this idea start that you weren't good in math? Well, when I was little, when I was about three years old, I learned to read and um, in kindergarten, I was placed in like an advanced reading program. And as a result of some of those things, I had some IQ testing and some intelligence testing as a child. I was like five or so. Um, And the result of that was I was I tested to see if I could skip um, ahead grade wise. And so I had tested actually into second grade. And so I ended up going straight from kindergarten into second grade. And during that time, and and sort of through my childhood, I was I was always told or mostly told that I was good at reading, but I wasn't really told that I was good at math. And my brother, though, was told that he was good at math. Um, And so in my childhood brain, I sort of internalized that to think, well, I'm not good at math. Um, and so that's how the, that's how that story started for me in my mind. It just, it wasn't something that somebody said I was bad at. It's just that I didn't hear that I was good at when other people around me were told that they were good at it. And I was told like, you're good at reading. And so my natural deduction was, I guess I'm not good at math. So that's how that started. And so where did that take you? What, what, how did that, um, come out in your life as you went through high school and college? So as I um, moved up in grades, I found myself in high school in a math class where I really liked my teacher and I also really liked doing math proofs. But I had that story that I'm not great at math. So I thought, well, I guess I just enjoy this, you know, but that's it. And then in chemistry, I remember really enjoying balancing chemical equations. But again, I had this sort of underlying thought that like, I'm not great at math. And part of it was there were people around me who were really good at math and were more advanced than I was. So I was like advanced in some, in some areas, in some um, subjects where they sort of move you up in high school in those subjects, but I was never moved up in math. So I thought like, well, I guess I'm just not that good at it. And it wasn't until um, so I went to university, I went to New York University and did my undergraduate degree in political theory. And then I went on to graduate school at Boston University in international public health. And it wasn't until I petitioned to, um, to sit in and be a student of this PhD level statistics course, I was accepted. I was sitting in the classroom, I'm the only woman there except for the teacher. And it wasn't until I was in that classroom 
and got a B in that class that I thought, well, gee, maybe I'm not as bad at math as I thought I was. You think? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, in my mind, I was like, wait, there's nowhere higher to go. I mean, like, in you know, just in terms of understanding of math and things like that, I was like, I'm at one of the highest level courses I can take at the university, you know, um, in statistics. So it was interesting because sometime after that, I was going through my my childhood things and I found the old testing records from when I was like five years old. And what they do is they give you the results where they sort of rank each different area that they test. And I was shocked to find that I had actually tested highest in mathematical reasoning. So I'd actually tested like from kindergarten into like a third grade level for mathematical reasoning. Um, and it and that was actually higher than some of the other things related to reading, like reading comprehension and stuff like that. And so it was really shocking to me to see, well, wait a minute, <laughs> this whole time I've been good at math. I just didn't know it. And um, yeah, that that definitely affected me, like finding that out had a pretty big impact on me. So when you realized that you had created this story, just, you know, so often these stories come from something that's said or something that's not said, you know, it doesn't make it fact, but then the story gets created from it. What did you learn about the stories we tell ourselves? Um, it was interesting because I feel like I had a time, uh, like a moment of time where I sort of grieved a little bit. I kind of went back through my life and thought, well, gee, I had this intuition of, of like enjoying certain aspects of math and math is obviously a huge subject right but um and so I had this kind of time where I thought back through well what if I had followed that math class in high school that I was interested in or what if I had followed that chemistry class that I was interested in um but really more than anything it helped me understand that the stories we believe about ourselves uh, ourselves are just usually um, either untrue or they're very flexible. <laughs> so, um, so now looking at things, when I have that thought of I'm not good at this or I can't do this, I remember that time. I remember looking at that sheet of that childhood testing record and thinking like, well, maybe I am good at it. I just haven't thought that I am. Or if I'm not good at it, like obviously nobody knows everything, right? But if I'm not, if I don't know how to do something or I'm not good at something, I have the the skills and the abilities to develop what I need or the tools and the abilities to develop the skills I need to become good at something. And so I've had that a few times in the last year I started a business and doing that was obviously a new endeavor for me. And in that journey, there's always things that come up that are difficult or that don't work out, or I need to adjust, or I need to learn something new. And it's helpful to have that, that like enlightening moment that I had, because now when I have that thought of, ooh, I'm not good at this, it's much easier for me to stop and think, well, wait a minute. Thank you for sharing your story. Sure, thanks for having me. As we discuss healthy thinking patterns, we need to first accept this important piece of the puzzle, that knowing how much power our thoughts have over our emotions and how much power our emotions have over our actions 
and how our actions will then build our character and determine who we become. Well, both the Savior and adversary seek to influence our thoughts because of this obvious domino effect. Really think about that. Doctrine and Covenant says, quote, Look unto me in every thought, with faith, without doubt or fear. God calls us to keep our thoughts on Him because of this cause and effect of this universal law. So let's talk about actual healthy thinking patterns and identify unhealthy thinking patterns so we can become aware of them and check in with ourselves about which ones may be our favorites. What is an inaccurate thinking pattern? Well, we could probably spend a whole lot of time making a list of those, but just so we don't overwhelm, let's talk about four really popular ones. Inaccurate thinking patterns often look like one, either focusing on the negative, letting that be front and center, or two, seeing something as all or nothing, three, jumping to conclusions, and four, magnification. Let's take these one at a time. The first one, focusing on the negative, can create distorted thoughts that cause us to feel badly about ourselves and about others, about life in general, because we're stuck in our hurt and our complaint. When we focus on negative detail or on only what went wrong, that thing becomes super big in our life and in our mind. It becomes our focus. It's what we always talk about here on the show, that what you focus on expands. We don't want the negative to expand. So be aware of this thinking error and shift out of it when it happens. An example, like everything went wrong today, one mess after another. Like you might have had a bad day, but it's unlikely that your day had no positive moments, no smiles, no progress on a project. No positive interaction with anyone, a loved one, a friend, nothing. Like you can focus on the crappy day and it doesn't mean you have to ignore what happened, but just knowing in your heart that where you choose to keep your mind and your focus is going to be the thing that gets bigger for you is a powerful thing to understand. Another example, this struggle that my son or my daughter is having is horrendous as a parent. It's horrible to watch a child suffer. Can I find in this struggle something positive to focus on? Is he or she learning something? Am I learning something? Is there opportunity to build relationship here because of what they're going through? Again, instead of focusing on the super obvious and difficult thing that any struggle might hold for you, Is there something positive that we can focus on instead that will just bring the good things to the front? Second, inaccurate harmful thinking pattern that we're going to talk about is seeing something as all or nothing. Things are very seldom all or nothing. I remember a time where a therapist called us out during a marriage therapy session on this you always do this, or she never does that. The therapist would stop us every time somebody would make a comment like this and make us dig deeper to realize that, no, the person did not always do the thing being claimed. He did not always come home late. She did not always nag. You do not always do the wrong thing. 
and everything does not always go badly for you. Something is seldom all good or all bad. So look for phrases where you are saying always and never and catch yourself out on this because this is an erroneous thinking pattern that will get you into some just some really inaccurate places, some inaccurate realities. Let's do this little exercise in challenging this thinking error. Let's say you catch your child lying to you. This happens and you get to evaluate and choose. You can choose, my child always lies to me, even if it happens regularly. Um, Or you can create a more accurate thought that he or she is often honest. There are times where they're honest and times when they're not. You can foster the thought that this lie shows a real lack of integrity in the child and he'll never learn to be trustworthy. Or you can choose to believe that he or she is full of potential, and this can be a teaching opportunity. You can see how the always and never statements create almost a a frantic fear in them when you use them, uh, an idea that things might never change, that this is the end conclusion of how this is going to be, when in reality to temper that creates a more realistic space, a, a way to work with a person in this situation. It also creates just a more accurate perspective. keeps us from despair. I have also learned that if you praise the time that the person does the right thing, that you will see more of it. I notice that even in my own life, when people praise me for doing things positively that Obviously, within yourself, you notice that you want to do more of that. So that's an easy one. Okay, let's go to the third thinking error. This is jumping to conclusions. I love this one because I specifically remember when this one clicked in my head as a young adult. When we jump to conclusions, we interpret others' thoughts. And often when we do this, we are assuming negative outcomes. For instance, Someone I expected to be friendly with me is being dismissive. And then the thought goes to, oh, they must be angry with me. This is jumping to a conclusion. The healthiest internal response when you catch yourself doing this is to stop and to mentally remind yourself that you really have no idea why they seem dismissive. You have the opportunity to communicate with them rather than creating a story in your head about what's going on in their head. Perhaps they have, you know, a family member that's in poor health and they're worried about it, or they had a rough day at work and maybe they're worried about their boss or their project. Perhaps they're puzzling out something that they're working on. The bigger picture is that it's not always about you. Thoughts like, I bet everyone is laughing at me, or everyone probably thinks I'm a big baby, or he must be seeing someone else. These are assumptions. Challenge them. I'm gonna share an example just from last week. So I got to my yoga class and I was a little bit late and there were not very many places to put my mat down. So I snuck onto the back row, chose the spot with the largest space and the room for others to shift and, and then asked the woman next to me if she could move her mat over a bit. She did, but I started creating a story in my mind that she was irritated with me. Instead of breathing and letting my mind move with my body, I was breathing and building a story about how this stuffy woman next to me was put out because someone had dared to ask her to move. 
Now, once I recognized that I was doing this, I acknowledged the story to myself and I discontinued it. And frankly, that solved the problem. And the simple acknowledgement was, Lori, you don't know what she's thinking. She's probably, the fact that she's not smiling and being friendly about it is perhaps just that she's in her yoga practice. Like, don't create a negative, difficult story that causes you, that causes myself to spend my yoga practice all caught up in it when um, I really have no idea what she's thinking. And it's not something either of us are going to remember an hour from now. So, yeah, this is just something you easily stay aware of. When you catch yourself doing it, remind yourself you don't know what they're thinking. Brene Brown tells a story in Daring Greatly about when she and her husband were going out for an early morning swim in a lake on a family vacation up at a cabin in the mountains. They both used to swim competitively. And so this fun morning swim was right up their alley. And Brene was feeling a little insecure in her Speedo since it had been 20 years and two kids ago since she'd worn it. And as they swam, she just felt so wonderful and close to her husband. And she tried telling him how bonding this felt to her. And he his response was really kind of flippant. And he just kept swimming. And in her mind, she jumped to the conclusion that he must not be thinking that she still rocked this beto or he was wondering where his wife of 25 years ago went. So she got really caught up in her head with her own insecurities. And as he continued to dismiss her, she decided that rather than going into the usual mode of hurt and silent treatment, that she would address it straight on. So she said, you know, what's going on here? The story I'm creating is that you don't think I look very good in my Speedo or that you're wondering where your young, fit wife of 25 years ago went. And he had no idea what she was talking about. It turned out that he'd had a bad dream the night before that his children had drowned and as they were swimming, he was just trying to deal with a panic attack by counting strokes. He hadn't even really heard her try to connect with him. We never know what is going on in another's mind, and that's an important thing to remember. I could share a hundred examples of jumping to conclusions because it happens every day with everybody. But let me be clear. Jumping to conclusions is the quintessential example of creating stories with no facts, only assumptions. This is what Catherine and I were talking about earlier in the episode. This can be devastatingly destructive to us and to our relationships. When you can learn to check yourself, be aware when you're doing it, manage it, you relieve yourself of tremendous emotional stress and strain. Let me repeat that. When you can learn to check yourself, be aware that you're doing it and manage it, you, you release yourself from tremendous stress and strain. So notice, remind yourself it's a story that you're creating. Check in with the person about what's really going on if you need to. Nine times out of 10, the story we've concocted is not on point. You'll find that really interesting if if you end up checking in with people on this type of thing. Sometimes you just let it go because you realize you don't know. Other times you check in with the person to make sure that, you know, if it's the type of situation where you need to clarify. The fourth thinking error, magnification. 
Magnification is basically comparison. We magnify what others are good at and compare it to our own weaknesses. I barely cook dinner for my family and when I do it's nothing like Miss SX cooks. Or he drives a better car than me, he's so much more successful and I'm a loser. Or she always looks so put together and I can't stand to wear anything but jeans and a t-shirt. There's all kinds of things. We've had numerous episodes on the podcast about how what you focus on expands. Episode 59, episode 186, episode 208, episode 223. Obviously, it's an important part of story, so we talk about it a lot. And it comes up even more in conversations you know, across the board in the other episodes. But you can see how dangerous this thinking error is because it allows us to create negative, judgmental stories about ourselves that are not based on apples-to-apples apples situations. We all have different talents and abilities. We all have different places where we shine. And this is actually very important for a healthy community. We can't all be good at the same things or the tapestry of life does not have the color it needs to be beautiful. And comparison, comparison creates crushing self stories and it's such a meaningless endeavor. Sometimes I catch myself comparing my work to the big uber successful influencers and I feel very small and sometimes like a failure. So I remind myself of the rule of magnification. Don't. <laughs> it's that simple. I practice it. In conclusion, these inaccurate thinking patterns are used by the adversary to keep us small to keep us in conflict with ourselves and others. These are the tools that darkness excels at. And because we don't want to be in darkness, because we want to be emotionally resilient as we travel our journey, the beauty of becoming aware of them is that line upon line, as we practice, we learn the weapons that keep us small, and one story at a time, we practice taking control of our own thought patterns. Now, practice is the key. Nothing just comes easy. Nothing automatically shifts. But the more you do it, the more you're aware, the more you take time to shift one inaccurate thought pattern at a time, and you just do it over and over, pretty soon it becomes that your awareness is heightened. And so it becomes something that you can do much easier. So don't be discouraged. Just remember persistence, but a persistence that is so well worth it to be, to have those mentally sharp skills and resilience. Most good worthwhile things take this kind of effort. It's part of that growth we talked about in the first episode from last week. So don't get discouraged. Start with awareness. While thinking errors bind us and limit our happiness and ability to grow, challenging those thinking errors and replacing them with more accurate thoughts will free us. It will create confidence and we'll have healthier relationships with ourselves and with other people. And that's huge. <laughs> Thank you for being here today. Join me in two weeks for part three of this series. It's called From Chaos to Calm, Managing Stress and Anxiety. 
a big shout out to BP Writer from the United States for leaving us this very kind review. Fabulous podcast, fantastic content, great guest, gems galore. Came across the Love Your Story podcast and I am loving it, especially the episode with Samantha Hawkins. This conversation was just so amazing. The candid discussion about standing up for what you believe in had so many great takeaways. Can't wait to listen to more episodes. Thank you. Thank you, BP Writer. Please share this episode today with someone you love. We'll see you in two weeks for part three of this emotional resilience series. Mm -hmm.